Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible Williams, and welcome to week one of our Matthew series, which is part two of our season of Lent together as a community. So you guys, we are walking through the season of Lent together as we do almost every year, right? Yeah. yeah. Every year. And we began with a series called People of Remembrance, which we wrapped up last week. And today we will start the Gospel of Matthew together, and that will bring us through the next four weeks culminating in Holy Week and Resurrection Sunday. That's right. Easter Sunday. It is on the horizon. Today, we have a new friend with us, Cameron Horner. Cameron is a speaker and writer from North Carolina. He experienced a life-changing accident at age 18 that you'll hear a little bit about that left him paralyzed from the chest down. And the scriptures, God's Word was an anchor for him then. And I think you're going to hear how it is still an anchor for him He speaks on disability and God's Word whenever he gets the opportunity, and I can see why he is just so just saturated in the truth of Scripture, and it truly permeates his life. And we are just really grateful that he's here with us today to begin the Gospel of Matthew. Speaking of... Speaking of the Gospel of Matthew, if you, for any reason... Do not already have a reading guide for the book of Matthew. So that's if you're not a subscriber, if you haven't ordered a physical or digital copy yet. Well, with digital copies, for sure, it's just never too late. So if you want to join us in that full experience of getting the curated scriptures, all the extras about the book of Matthew, and really getting to follow along with us through these episodes, and even more than that, joining this worldwide community of men and women who are reading the Gospel of Matthew Mm -hmm. for the next four weeks. If you want to do that with us, you can still get a digital copy of the book of Matthew at shopshereadstruth.com, and you can get a physical copy. It'll take a couple days to arrive, but it's not too late. It's a four-week series. So head to shopshereadstruth.com, and if you like, use the code Matthew5, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, and the number five at checkout to get $5 off anything in the Matthew collection. We love when you listen to this podcast podcast, but we love even more when you open your Bibles and you read the scriptures that we already got to read and have enjoyed talking about. So without further ado, use that code Matthew and the number five for $5 off anything in the Matthew collection. And let's get right to this episode. Cameron, welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. We're so glad you're here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yes. Well, thank you for saying yes. And, you know, we joked, we're like, it's a podcast invitation with homework. With homework. (laughs) (laughs) You get to study up before you're on. (laughs) It's good homework, though, so it's It's all good. That's right. We call it good work if you can get it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Cameron, we're meeting for the first time today, which is exciting for us. But what we've learned is that the reason that we get to have you on the podcast, we actually have our editorial team to thank. They attended a conference a while back and heard you speak, and they were like, we got to get him on the podcast. And so, first of all, thank you for saying yes to that conference, and then second, to saying yes to the podcast. Amanda and I are excited to get to know you. Yeah, I'm excited to get to know you guys. And for the audience, you have some incredible prayer warriors leading this podcast. (laughs) So they prayed beforehand. And I was like, oh, yes, these are my people (laughs) right here. So, yeah, so excited to be here. I don't think that we have started a podcast in our, however many, in our 215 episodes. And this is not by our might, just to be clear. But I, I don't know how to start a podcast without just laying ourselves low. I feel like we forgot one time and then we remembered and stopped and we're like, wait a minute, we have to pray. (laughs) Well, here's how we knew that you were our people. Even as we were reading kind of the questionnaire that you filled out before preparation to be on the podcast, one of the things in a line in your bio said that you fell deeply in love with the Bible at a young age. And clearly you're still in love with God's Word and with Scripture and with God Clearly, it is a way to be in relationship with God. You know, we know so little about each other. We're all getting to be friends right now. What did that look like? What did it look like for little Cameron to fall in love with Scripture? 
Yeah, so I grew up in a church setting that really highlighted and emphasized the importance of the scriptures. There were other things that they were lacking in, but that was one emphasis. But I didn't really have a great relationship with the Lord until maybe around 16 or 17. But kind of the context and setting that the Lord brought me to himself through Mm -hmm. or what he used was the scriptures. So when I share my story, I tell people I force myself to read a chapter a day at 16 or 17. I was like, I can do that. But that chapter a day, it was, you know, the scriptures say the word of God is alive and powerful. And I experienced that, that like something about that chapter a day gripped my heart at that young age and it became an addiction. And I just had this six month period that God gave me when I was 17, where I was able to spend, I mean, two, sometimes four, sometimes six hours just in the Bible. And it transformed my life. And so my transformation and the experience of receiving peace from God and new life from God, it was all centered around experiencing Him through the Scriptures. And then that kind of like stuck. It just stayed with me for the next, you know, I'm 30 now, so for the next 13 years. Yeah. And I just love the Scriptures. So I wish I was more of a Bible nerd, but... I think of myself as that sometimes. Just oh, I a, a think Bible you're well guy. on your way there, so. friend. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, thank you. Yeah. And for those who don't know, I do also live with a disability. So I was disabled at 18, and it was kind of like the foundation of the scriptures was the anchor and the foundation that got me through, you know, what I was going to go through in the next year, mm. year and a half after that. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I look forward to hopefully later as we go through the episode, if there's more of your story that you're willing to share, it's a powerful one and something that I think that you have communicated and shared well with anyone who would ask you about it. And it's just been an encouragement to, you know, hear a story of a fellow believer who even through suffering has just really like clung to what is true. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and so much of that goes back to what the Spirit did in my heart through the Word at that young age. So Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to walk through these chapters of Scripture with you, Cameron, because—and you, Rachel. Oh, I'm thanks. also excited that you're thanks. here. Thanks. Because— I'm just old news. You know, something that—not <laughs> to me, <laughs> never. No. <laughs> something that our friend— Tam, who is on staff here, she wrote the editor's letter for this book, and she was talking about the power of story. And it's interesting because that was also a theme in the plan that we just wrapped up, Cameron, previous to this one, was called People of Remembrance, and is about the biblical like practice of remembering and how Scripture calls us to that. And so we talked a lot about the power of story and its role in the Christian life. Yeah. Tam brought it out in her letter, and then it kind of gave me a lens that that's really what is happening. As I was reading these first eight chapters of Matthew, yeah. again, I felt kind of swept up in the story, yeah. and you being you know a person who ministers through the very profound story of your life that God has given you to steward and live through. It just feels right to me, and I'm excited for us to dig in together. Yeah, totally. You get to enter into Jesus's life, and not just his life, but the life of even Joseph and Mary. Mm -hmm. Like We can't forget about that. They had some pretty, what could be almost traumatic experiences, and so you get to enter into the story and life of these people and feel the tangible realness of it and be like, oh, you know what? I can relate with these people. You know, they've been through difficult things. And so even leading up to, you know, we're going to hit the Sermon on the Mount, hopefully, if we have time. And, you know, it's this profound teaching by this new prophet to Israel, but you get to see all of his life leading up to that point. And it's like, okay, this is a person. That's right. Jesus is God incarnate, and yet... He's this person that I can relate to because of the story. Yeah, yeah exactly right. I, love I mean, that. you're not wrong. When we first got online together before we hit record, Cameron, I think you were saying something about like, so Matthew one through eight chapters, <laughs> the first eight, like, it's ambitious. That's a lot to <laughs> cover a large swath. in an hour because we're starting with the genealogy of Jesus and we're getting ourselves like well into yep. his ministry and yeah. teaching. Like, yeah. I mean, it's a 30-some-year span here. Yeah, there's a lot of words. So, Cameron, when you mention, you know, the story of Mary and Joseph, it's funny that 
like, as I heard you say that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's in this week's reading, too. Like, I've yeah. been, you know, spending, mm-hmm. you know, more time today in, like, days four and five. And I read day one a while ago, and you were not wrong. It is covering right. a lot of ground and a lot of people and a lot of stories. And I love that you pointed out, like, it's not that, like, all of these stories are just, like, here's the highlight reel, right? Like, I mean, even genealogy alone, it's not necessarily the highlight reel. No, I would say it is very much yeah. not. Right. <laughs> Scripture so, is not a highlight reel. <laughs> and so to, like, right? look at these stories and go... It wants to slow you down. Slow down. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. But before we get to the genealogy and to the story, I want to talk for just a minute about the Gospel of Matthew. Oh, do it. Yeah, because let's start. that's better. Good. Yes, we know <laughs> that the Gospel of Matthew is one of four Gospels, mm-hmm. which Gospels and Scripture are books that give the account of Jesus' life. So of his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. Some other kind of quick facts about the Gospel of Matthew. It is one of the synoptic Gospels, which just means it kind of tells an orderly account of the story of Jesus' life. It's focused on that, whereas John is the outlier. He's the only one who is not considered a synoptic gospel, which it is. It's almost poetry, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's a very different feel Mm -hmm. of a gospel. Also, so the book of Matthew doesn't say, like how Paul does sometimes, like, this is, you know, this is Paul writing to you. The book of Matthew doesn't say that Matthew wrote it, but it has been generally accepted that Matthew, the apostle of Jesus, wrote the book. But what you may not know is that he used Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is, is believed to have been written first. Mm-hmm. And so Matthew was obviously an eyewitness to so much of what he narrates in the gospel of Matthew, but he also uses Mark's gospel as a source. Yeah. So like if you were writing a paper and you knew of a reliable source, that is what Mark's gospel was for Matthew, which is a fun fact. But yeah, and it was written, you know, we're talking like just a few decades after Jesus' resurrection. Mm -hmm. So it is not very far removed. Which is always like a surprise to me because I, in my mind, I'm picturing him like, you know, in the evening journaling. Taking notes. So here's what happened. Which Uh, maybe he did. Yes. And then put all the writings together is maybe how that works. I don't know. That's a good point. It takes a long time to write a book. I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> so one of the important things when you come to any book of the Bible is to know what genre you're reading. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned like Paul's letters. Those are the genre of a letter or an epistle. And so you would read that differently than you would read the book of Matthew. Yeah. Scholars went back and forth on like, well, is this like a biography or how do we relate to this? But from my understanding, the most recent understanding of how to read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John even, is to understand it as this is an ancient biography. So we're trying to get into the life of Jesus and the people around him, which it makes sense, right? You read the book and it's like, yeah, this is telling us the account of Jesus, but it's actually even similar to other ancient biographies from the time period. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Fun fact. I like, by the way, Cameron, you were talking earlier about like sitting down and reading large swaths of scripture, just like spending time reading, mm-hmm. starting with a chapter a day mm-hmm. and then going from there. Something that, you know, if you've been around She Reads Truth long enough, you've probably heard us talking about, you know, encouraging our friends, our community, our listeners to do that whenever possible. And so a lot of times we'll give you like a, here's how long it takes the average reader, and it can be more, it can be less, but here's how long it takes the average reader to read the whole book in one sitting. And so for Matthew, it is two hours and 21 minutes. It's always kind of fun. I should have had y'all guess. Sorry for not having you guess. I regret that. Oh, well, I... But now you know. But I was oh, telling I him... I guessed way more because... Would you? I'm like this slow, methodical reader, and so me it too. would have taken me so much longer. The other thing that I just wanted to point out before we get... And it really does segue us into the genealogy. You know, Matthew would have been writing his gospel for the audience that existed at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Which would have been the early church... And in this case, mostly Jewish Christians Mm -hmm. were who he was writing to. So these are men and women who are still living in a very Jewish culture Mm -hmm. and also 
still in relationships with other Jewish family members and friends who are not followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to describe is that's just the culture they live in, just like we live in the culture of our city and state and country and hemisphere. That's where they were living because like Matthew is kind of equipping them, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Equipping them to have conversation, to understand this faith that they are in and Mm -hmm probably rather new to. And so I just think that's really cool. Like what a gift that would have been to them. And for us, like it just helps us to imagine their lives. Like we were talking about earlier, like imagine their stories. So just something to kind of keep, like you'll hear language about Abraham and Moses and all of those patriarchs. Yeah, this is beautiful for me. Part of my story in high school is also that I was in a context of a Messianic Jewish synagogue on a lot of Saturdays, which is when they worship. And so that's being among Jewish believers in Jesus. And their reverence for the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Mm -hmm. the reverence for the Torah that they had deeply impacted me. So when I come to the book of Matthew, you know, especially when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, we're basically looking at Jesus's exposition of the Torah of the first five books and how he relates to it. So what you're pointing out is it deeply resonates with me that these Jewish believers, because of their deep roots in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, they just understood things that I didn't. And so mm-hmm. you, when you come yeah. to the book of Matthew, you're, he's like expounding on things from the Old Testament that you're like, holy cow, I never saw that, you know? <laughs> but because he has these deep roots in the Jewish scriptures, it just, it brings things alive that you wouldn't have seen before. So Yeah. And so, Rachel, your genealogy here starts with an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, mm-hmm. son of Abraham. Mm-hmm. And then it keeps going. And then it just keeps going. So we did, about a year ago, we as a community read through a study called The Genealogy of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it wasn't the exhaustive genealogy of Jesus, there were, you know, we picked out stories from the Old Testament, so we were able to kind of read the narratives of the people mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that, I mean, I've had a lot of touch points with genealogies in my years of Bible reading, but that was really meaningful to me to be able to just truly go, okay, who's this person? Who's this person? And there were characters, characters is what I'll say, but you know what I mean, like actual people. Historical characters. Historical characters whose stories I didn't know or had just completely maybe overlooked. And so I remember, I think, probably recording an episode with Lisa Harper. I don't know if it was in this series or the other, but she used the phrase, like, it's a sermon, not a census. And I feel like that mm-hmm. has like resonated with us. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So the way that an ancient person does history is different than what we think of history. We think of history as like camera footage or as close to it as we mm. could get. Mm-hmm. But actually, the way that they did history and even the way that Matthew does the genealogy is actually trying to communicate a theological point about the people and about the historical circumstances that the people of God find themselves in. So this isn't in Matthew, but in the book of Kings, for instance, which, you know, we find several of these kings in the book of Kings that Matthew yeah. mentions. But in the book of Kings, you'll hear the story of a certain king described or talked about, but it's all in a theological way trying to show, like, here is why Israel is in the predicament that they're in. So even the book of Matthew, there's characters, historical characters, <laughs> that are left out of the genealogy. And you're like, well, why are they yeah. not in there? But it's all to move us towards a theological point that is being communicated about who Jesus is. Yes. Right? So that's that's really the point of the genealogy is to not only to show us who Jesus is, but even to connect Jesus to the storyline of the Bible up to this point. Like, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but Matthew doesn't come out of nowhere. Like, this isn't the beginning of the Bible. (laughs) You know, we are far along in the story of the people of God. And what Matthew, even the first paragraph, the genealogy of Jesus Christ— Son of David, son of Abraham. Like, we have to understand the depth of what's happening in that statement that Matthew is connecting Jesus to this deep, rich history of the people of God, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 in that one statement. So, that's what the genealogy is doing. It's saying, hey, this guy, like, hey, everybody, this guy is coming from this long history of the people of God and the history of God and what God has been doing for thousands of years. 
So it's easy to like skip the genealogies, but man, when you get into the lives of the people and realize what is happening, it just explodes off the page. It becomes this beautiful work of art and poetry. Oh, even. Man. I agree. I love so that. So well said. Yeah. I love that you said that, Cameron, because when I see genealogy, I get practical. Like I do think, you know, like this is one instance where like we're establishing the humanity of Christ. And so like I'm thinking like broadly here because, you know, in a little bit we're going to start to establish the deity of Christ, that he was both the son of man and the son of God. But I love that you were like, not only (laughs) was he the son of man, but like look at whose son he is. Like he's a son of Abraham. So he is like a Jewish man. He's a son of David. So He's from this line, mm-hmm. and we're already, it's these little, like, touch points of, like, all of those prophecies, you know, that were, who's going to come from Abraham, who's going to come from David? We're going to get to that, but yes. I'd like to, like, establish this right here, first paragraph. Yeah, exactly. The reality of that first paragraph, even, is to show that he's also the person that God promised would come to fix the mess that humanity finds ourselves in. Mm -hmm. Like, that's also part of this first paragraph. So it expands out also, like, Son of Man, yes. Son of God, yes. But also promised Redeemer and Savior is packed in that one verse. Yeah. So, quick Bible lesson, but Genesis 1 through 11 is kind of the story of, why is the world broken? You turn the page to Genesis 12, and it's the beginning of, here's how God's going to fix the brokenness. And we find this man named Abraham that God calls out, and he makes a promise to Abraham that one is going to come from you, Abraham, that's going to fix the mess that we saw in Genesis 3, in Genesis 6, in Genesis 11. So why is the world broken, but then how is it going to be fixed? It's through a son of Abraham. Later, a similar thing is said to David, how is the mess going to be fixed? Hey, David, one of your sons is actually going to be part of the redemption of the world. And so, again, Matthew is connecting us to these mega promises of God throughout yeah. history. Yeah, and that his audience, as you pointed out, you know, is this Jewish audience who knows their Bible. They know knows the their story. Old Testament. Yeah. Like, they're going, oh, it's okay, I'm already cued in here. And he keeps going. He's so clear. Matthew, you know, I mentioned how many connections back to the Old Testament, which, you know, obviously they're all through the genealogy. But I just kept, like, noticing how many times the word prophet is used, Mm -hmm. you know, and where he will just say, I mean, beginning in... Matthew 1, 22. Now, all this took place, because this is talking about the birth of Jesus. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And we know this prophecy, right? Mm-hmm. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Which, side note, I think that Matthew is the only gospel writer who translates that for us. Is that true? I do think so. I think Mm -hmm. so, too, because I looked for it. So thank you, Matthew, Mm -hmm. for the God is with us Mm -hmm. moment. It's so important. But it keeps, there are so many times when he overtly points out the fulfillment of prophecy. So as you were saying, Cameron, they would have, like, their ears are beyond perked up, right? (laughs) Like, this is the one that the scriptures have talked about. And like as I was reading this time, which I know all of the Gospels do this to an extent, but I was just really struck by how Matthew is showing Jesus to be the Son of God and Mm -hmm. the Messiah Mm -hmm. in all of these stories. Like that is the point, Mm -hmm. right, of all of the stories. Because it feels like some of the things, it's like, why is he talking like this? Why is this happening this way? And it helps me to remember that, oh, because this is new information (laughs) to them, that the Messiah is here. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned this because I noticed the same things. Like, And I think probably, like, of course, like I think that many people would notice this, like, repetition of prophet. Right. But my thing that I kept underlining kind of throughout the book was the word fulfill, which is Mm -hmm. usually in the same sentence as prophet, to fulfill what the prophets have said. Mm -hmm. But that fulfill word being used just on repeat through the book of Matthew, but especially here in the first couple of chapters. Sure. I just like that emphasis of like, it's Jesus is the fullness, like he's the mm-hmm. completion. And he'll even himself say, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. And I love that repeated fulfill. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we come to fulfill, we think, okay, it's like a checklist that has to be checked off and then we can move on from. But 
almost like biblical fulfillment is like he's fitting the pattern mm. of. So there's even stuff that it says he fulfills, but then we're like, but that shouldn't mean that this isn't going to happen again. So it's almost like he's fitting this pattern or mold that God had been saying throughout time in history, hey, one's coming and this is what he's going to yeah. be like. And that word fulfill then shows us, okay, finally we see one that fully fits the pattern yeah. of what we're looking for. Like so many people throughout history were like, oh man, could that have been the one that's going to come and redeem it all for us? But it's like, no, they couldn't quite fulfill mm -hmm. the fullness of what God promised. And then this one comes and he fills out and fulfills the full picture for us. The word fulfill is actually very significant for the book of Matthew and who Jesus yeah. is. And then when we come to Matthew 5, yes, he fulfills in that he fills out the fullness of what the Torah or the law of God was supposed to be. Like so many people didn't fulfill it. So many people didn't fit the mold of what God meant when he gave his laws, but Jesus yeah. did. Like he came and fully fit the pattern of what it means to live a godly life according to the law or commands yeah. of God. I love the way you just colored that in for us because I feel like we yeah. were like circling it and to think of fulfill now is like Jesus fully filled um, yeah. the pattern or fully filled the void yeah. or fully filled the role that Israel needed, that the world needed, that fully filling it. I like that. I do too. I also like the phrase you colored that in for us. That's nice. And it is just endlessly fascinating, and of course it was this way, that how difficult it is for the reality of what is happening for everyone to see it, to accept it, for it to catch on. And of course it was. You know, it's easy to say like, oh, those Pharisees, they didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. But you have to understand, like, they have devoted their lives to oh, yeah. studying mm -hmm. this story of God's people that you, you know, so beautifully articulated earlier, Cameron. And and now here comes one who, yes, fulfills the pattern, also looks nothing like, mm -hmm. you know, nothing like what they would have expected. Like you would have expected, we talk about a lot, you know, Christmas wasn't that long ago. We talk about how Jesus chose to enter the world yeah. and how it could have been more like the way his return is described of how that what that will be like. Just right? a shout and the trumpet call of God. Right. I mean, yeah. that's prob I probably would have done something along those yeah. lines. It is just a constant like earthquake moment where it is new information <laughs> that the Messiah is here. Yeah. And what that means, and it is fully disruptive to everything that they've been doing. They've been doing it all right, in mm -hmm. air quotes, and now here comes Jesus saying, actually, yeah. it's about your hearts. Yeah, you made such a good point there, where what they were expecting almost looked more like how we would expect the second coming of Jesus to look mm -hmm. like. So I think it would almost be appropriate to say that their expectation of what God was going to do in the transformation of the earth and the redemption of their people, all of those things, like that hope wasn't so much wrong. Really, the issue was, how are we going to get there? Yeah. You know? And so swirling in the time period of Jesus are all these ideas of like, well, how is God going to finally redeem the world and reestablish our people? Because we have to get inside the mindset also of the people of the first century, the Jewish people of the first century. They've been under oppression by different world powers for hundreds yeah. of years. They have this deep-rooted, like they're stewarding this promise of God that he's going to establish the throne of David again, that he's going to restore their people, that he's going to use them as part of the redemption of the world. All of these promises that, I mean, we know when a people group stewards like a national promise in their heart, that's yeah. powerful. Like that's hard to take out of the heart. And so they have this hope. And I don't even think the hope was wrong. I think it's more, how do we get there? So you have these different ideas. Really, the ideas could almost be summed up. The Pharisees thought that they would get their redemption through piety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's another group, the Zealots, which actually arrived on the scene only about 10 years before Jesus was born, the Zealot movement. And they thought they could get the redemption through the sword, through violence. And then the Sadducees, they're a mixed mm -hmm. bag. It's almost like they thought they could get the redemption through political alignment with mm. Rome, maybe. I don't even know if they 
believed that redemption was coming. But so you have like these different ideas swirling at the time. And Jesus steps in the midst of it and says, actually, you're going to get it through a nonviolent hope in me. You're going to wait for me to do all of the promises. And you're going to walk in a loving, nonviolent, gracious posture toward your neighbor while I do the fulfillment of these things. So the thing that they missed wasn't so much the hope. It was the suffering of the cross in the present. Yeah. In expectation of the hope in the future, maybe, is a way to put Mm -hmm. it. Or another way, and this kind of becomes more pertinent in like chapter six and chapter seven of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's like, we're all looking for glory Mm -hmm. now. And Jesus comes and says, actually, it's cross now, glory later, which is so hard to hear. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's very difficult to hear. Man, that's good. But he comes and gives this nonviolent, peaceful, love your neighbor, don't take up the sword. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are all of those things. That's the ethic now and glory later. You know, I was talking to a friend about this yesterday, and this idea came to me that we all want glory now. We all do. But often glory now comes at a cost. And usually the cost of glory now is other people. Yeah, Mm. Other people usually have to suffer for when we want glory now. And I think about so many times, you know, I'm a church guy. I love the church, but I've seen so many times when church leaders try to take glory now, and usually it's at the expense of other people. And if we just looked at the life and ethic of Jesus, we would recognize, you know what? Glory now is not what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What we're now is we're living the life of the cross, which looks like laying down our lives for the people around us, gentle humility towards the people around us, and living in expectation of when Jesus will come with the glory. So. Amen. That is so good, Cameron. So, so good. Hey friends, Amanda here. Did you know that our friends at Healing Hands International have provided access to clean drinking water for more than two million people around the world. Through this work, HHI has witnessed firsthand that when women have access to clean water, they no longer spend their days walking and searching for water. Can you imagine? It allows for more time with their children and their families. It allows for more energy to be put into education and businesses that can provide income for their families. And this is where the Women of Hope program comes in. By offering business education, vocational training, even access to small business loans, Healing Hands International is giving women the opportunity to transform their present circumstances and create opportunities for their families to flourish. And most importantly, it's all done in partnership with local churches who are sharing the good news of the gospel. This Lenten season, as we are being reminded by Scripture to remember God's faithfulness to us, we have an opportunity to reflect His goodness to thousands of souls in need around the world. So will you stand with us and Healing Hands International as their clean water and Women of Hope programs collaborate to offer total transformation to one special village in Southern Kenya? Join us by visiting hhi.org slash truth. Together, we can make a tangible difference around the world in Jesus' name. That's hhi.org slash truth. Hey friends, pausing this conversation to tell you about one of our podcast sponsors, Haya. Now, it's no secret that typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise, right? They're filled with tons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk that your kids just don't need. That is why Haya was created. It is the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin. It has 12 organic fruits and vegetables, 15 essential vitamins and minerals, and Haya has zero sugar. It's vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, all the things you want in a children's vitamin. And somehow, kids still love it. And I have to tell you, so do all the moms with young kids here at the She Reads Truth office. 
So if you want to see if Haya is right for your family, we have a special deal just for you where you can get 50% off your first order. Just go to HayaHealth.com slash truth. Your first order will arrive with a super cute bottle that your kids can decorate with stickers. And then each month's supply of vitamins will arrive right at your door. You don't even have to think about it. This deal is not available on the regular website. So be sure to go to Haya Health. That's H-I-Y-A H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash truth and claim your discount and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. I mean, as we turn these pages, I don't even have to like sell it to you guys. There are some weeks where I'm like, y'all, don't forget to actually do the reading. No skips. But (laughs) I feel like, oh my word, like read it a couple of times a day. Like this reading of Matthew and these stories as we talked about. It's so good. And Cameron, you mentioned a bit ago, you know, that as we get into the Sermon on the Mount, like this is Jesus sort of relating with the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the law. (laughs) It just occurred to me, you know, in this time reading through the book of Matthew, that even Matthew chapter 4, which starts with the temptation of Jesus, has this strong emphasis on Scripture. Because in the temptation of Jesus, we know the story, like, Satan is using Scripture to tempt Jesus. Like, the enemy of God and man is quoting Scripture. And in response, Jesus is quoting accurate Scripture back Mm -hmm. to him. And I think that that's this, like, beautiful kind of background or, like, backdrop to entering into this, like, Sermon on the Mount for a number of reasons. I mean, just, like, the temptation alone is an important point on the timeline of Jesus' life and his ministry, But that detail of the way that Scripture is used by Jesus, by the very Word incarnate, to combat temptation, Mm -hmm. it feels like a cool backdrop Mm -hmm. to the Sermon on the Mount where he's now going, okay, let's talk more about this. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. And if you get me started on the temptation of Jesus, I really get nerdy (laughs) because the way that he— Get nerdy. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. I'll do it. So he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. You guys can disagree with me, but I believe that Deuteronomy might have been Jesus's favorite book of the Bible. I'm just going to leave that. It does seem like a contender, doesn't it? Because the way he quotes from it. That makes me want it to be mine. (laughs) (laughs) I love the book of Deuteronomy. I know that sounds weird, but it just, incredible book. But it really, it grounds his identity as we move forward into, yeah, the Sermon on the Mount. But Before we can really, I think, rightly understand what Satan is trying to do, we almost need to go back to the end of chapter 3. So chapter 3, just quick summary. There's actually not a ton of moving parts, but there's really significant parts. So we get the introduction of this guy named John the Baptist. We see kind of his fiery prophetic ministry. It's like, whoa, bro, settle down. (laughs) So we get his fiery prophetic ministry. And then Jesus comes, and it's a very famous scene. He comes to John the Baptist. And he's like, I want to be baptized. And John's like, no, you need to baptize me. What are you doing? And Jesus, you know, he says, no, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. Then the heavens suddenly opened for him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So several significant things. First of all, The Spirit descends on Jesus, Mm -hmm. which actually the Spirit is mentioned in the very first verse of chapter 4. So that's significant. But then also the Father speaks from heaven and gives like this statement of approval to Jesus in front of everybody. And he says this, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, which actually, folks, you should go read Psalm chapter 2. And in Psalm chapter 2 is is probably being referenced here. Psalm chapter 2 talks about the son of God that will come like a king and an anointed one. I think God the Father is saying, hey, you're the guy from Psalm 2. You're my (laughs) guy. You're my anointed one. But the temptation of Satan then almost comes to question that. Yeah. So let's read it. Starting in chapter 4, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. So we can't miss that. At the baptism, the Spirit comes on Jesus. Two verses later, the Spirit drives Jesus to the wilderness to be tested. So it's the Spirit sending him to be tested. So sometimes the Spirit wants us to go through things, you know, for our good. So the Spirit drives him to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Probably very hungry. <laughs> Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these mm-hmm. stones to be bread. So, right there, it's an identity issue. Yeah. Jesus was told, You're the Son of God. And I think we need to get inside Jesus' humanity here, right?、Yeah. He's hungry, he's、yes. weak. It's the beginning of his ministry. People around him are saying, You're crazy. And he hears the voice of God that says, You are the Son of God. You're the anointed one. And the first temptation is if you really are, then create bread for yourself in the wilderness. Prove it as if God saying it himself was not enough. Exactly. So the Jewish readers of this, first of all, again, we got to remember the audience, their mind is going all the way back to the original、yes. story where the people of God, so You know, if you've seen the Prince of Egypt or the movie Moses or whatever, they come out of Egypt where they've been in slavery. They go through the Red Sea and then they're in the wilderness for 40 years. And those 40 years, they would understand it as a time of being tested in the wilderness. So, right off, Jesus is experiencing the same story、mm-hmm. that his people went through from the beginning. And lo and behold, just like they were hungry in the wilderness, waiting for bread from God, now Jesus is in the wilderness waiting for bread from God. And Satan is saying, Create your own bread. You know, if you're the Son of God, you do it. And this is what he responds. This is incredible to me. He responds by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, the reason this is cool is because when we go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, it really expands out. So, if I can just do that, I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and I'm going to read 2 through 5. And I think this is really incredible. So, keep in mind the story of Jesus, where he's at,、mm-hmm. what he's doing, and listen in to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 through verse 5. This is Moses. Telling the people of Israel about the storyline that they had gone through in the wilderness.、Okay. So, this is like Moses giving a sermon in Deuteronomy, reminding the people of their 40 years in the wilderness. So, this is the backdrop of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses says this Remember that the Lord your God led you the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness, so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna or bread to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And that little portion is what Jesus quoted. But it keeps going. Your clothing did not wear out, your feet did not swell these 40 years. Keep in mind that the Lord your God. Had been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Okay, this is、wow. to me is profound.、Yeah. Wow. Because what Jesus is doing by quoting this is he's putting himself in the place of Israel. He's experiencing their story and he's saying, everything that Israel learned in the wilderness, I also recognize that the Lord is sending me through that. But where Israel failed in their storyline, Jesus then comes and experiences their story. As, like, the Messiah figurehead, he experiences their story, but where they failed, he, as the true son, succeeded. Man, I love that. And by quoting that, he's saying, Where they failed, I'm not going to, Satan. Where they failed, I'm going to succeed.、Yeah. I know and I have learned that man doesn't live by bread、yeah. alone, but by every word of God. And so, where they didn't depend on God in the wilderness, I、yes. am. I'm not going to create bread for myself. Yeah, when you go and read the quotes that, He did. It fleshes out so much of the story and the identity of Jesus. So I'll stop. <laughs> That was my nerdy moment. Well, you're making Deuteronomy our favorite book now, too. <laughs> Thank you for walking、That's、us my through goal, that.、Really. I- <laughs> He's on a campaign.、Mm-hmm. That is so. I just, Isn't scripture cool? Yes, it is. My goodness. It is. And so, okay, I'm seeing a connection here, and you. Tell me if you guys can follow me and go with me here. Because what this makes me think of, in addition to how cool scripture is, <laughs> is what God gives to his people 
in the midst of suffering. Mm. Because we know the story, right? But the story that Moses is recapping in Deuteronomy 8 is that time when, when they were in the wilderness and, you know, more than once they said, did you just bring us here to let us die? Did mm-hmm. you just rescue, I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. did you rescue us from Egypt in that amazing, supernatural, only God can do it way just to bring us to this place? that seems honestly worse than where we were, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and are you just going to let us die here? You know, this is the posture. And so we hear those refrains in those chapters of Scripture where God and then Moses, as God's mouthpiece, says, like, remember, like, I am the Lord your God who brought you out Mm -hmm. of slavery. And so the connection in my brain, (laughs) Cameron, I watched a video of your story and your testimony, and we'll link to it in the show notes so that our audience can get to know you better and know your story. But you said in there that you're talking about like your faith journey as it relates to your disability and how, you know, kind of that sort of moment of truth where you have to say like, okay, maybe you have faith to be healed, but do you have faith to continue on when you're not Mm -hmm. healed? And so I'm picturing just all of the moments kind of like in my brain, like a montage of times when the people of God endured suffering and when, you know, the disciples of Jesus endured suffering and where in that suffering, there is kind of a crystallization and a clarifying of the point, right? Of like who Jesus is and what it yeah. means to have faith in him. Can you speak to that a little bit? I just don't want our hour to get away without our community hearing your heart as it relates to what it's like to walk through life as a follower of Jesus with a profound disability. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for asking that. And yes, so many of these stories do connect to this. And it is the life, you know, we talked about story at the beginning. It is the life and story of Jesus that I think has given me the greatest strength to walk through or to roll through, (laughs) because I'm in a wheelchair, to roll through life with Hmm. a disability, which, you know, sometimes disability and suffering get inappropriately connected. That's fair, yeah. But there is profound suffering that I've been through. When you live 18 years of your life as an able-bodied person, and then that changes, there's suffering. You know, To this day, I certainly relate to suffering and difficulty. So the book of Hebrews, we're going to go to a different book of the Bible, but the book of Hebrews, you have Hebrews chapter 11, which is like the hall Mm -hmm. of faith, right? You have all these examples of people who lived in faith. And then Hebrews chapter 12 opens with then turning our attention to Jesus. And it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God on high, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. But what's profound about that is that one is it shows us the humanity of Jesus. He didn't want to endure the shame at the cross. You know, he didn't want to go through that. And yet there was something set before him that gave him the strength to endure it. And it was the joy that, remember, we talked about cross now, glory later. It was the joy of the glory that got him through the shame of the Mm -hmm. cross. And what I think faith often gets framed as is, especially in certain contexts, I can talk about that a little bit more, but faith often gets framed in some contexts as a power and a force that we can have now that gives us all of our deliverance and all of our glory now. And I think I came into disability with that kind of idea Mm -hmm. about faith. And what the Lord did so gently and through the context of actually a local community that loved me so well, in the context of community, in the context of the Christian body, He reframed my understanding of faith as actually faith is the conviction and the assurance that there will be future glory and future hope, and that all of the suffering now actually adds to the reward and the glory to come in the future. So back to Hebrews 11, it actually says that faith is the assurance or conviction of things hoped for. So hope is a picture of a better future, 
of a thing to come that we don't have now. And faith is this assurance and conviction that that hope will come about. So when I first was disabled, you know, it was all about healing now. I actually was in the context of what would be called the prosperity gospel, Mm -hmm. the faith healing movement. And I'm thankful for my years in that. Like I really learned a lot of good in that context even. But I had to relearn and say, okay, actually, it may not be about healing now. It may not be about walking now. It may actually be about a healing in the future that God is going to give me the strength in the present to persevere through towards. So even Jesus in the garden where he had to say yes to the cross, I believe that the Holy Spirit was actually even there strengthening him in his humanity to say yes to the suffering. And just like in the wilderness temptation, he was being sustained by God. In our sufferings, we're sustained by God to say yes to the cross, yes to the suffering. And then the Bible comes along later and says, hey, rejoice in your suffering because it's producing something in you that's worth Mm -hmm. so much more value than anything you could have now. So, gosh, I could say so much more. (laughs) But, yeah, the suffering now, the story of Jesus is definitely our anchor point for that. So, Amen. All right, so here's the thing, Cameron. I'm just going to ask our editor to remove all of my words from this whole episode so that we can have more space (laughs) for your words, because I don't want it to be over, because I feel like we haven't even turned to the Sermon on the Mount. And you shared that in your house church, how long did y'all spend on the Sermon on the Mount? I can't remember exactly, but it was at least, I mean, three or four months. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. That what feels a, like, right. great place to camp. <laughs> and we're going to just do it in a couple of days, which oh, is no big deal. Oh, we had so much yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's so much there about the kingdom. And really yeah. what you just described in the context of your story is really approaching all of life through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of life in the kingdom of heaven. And we are earthlings, mm. <laughs> yeah. but we are citizens of heaven. And so in these three chapters in Matthew, Jesus describes for us what the kingdom of heaven is like. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is mm. very upside down from what they, in the time and space in which Jesus walked the earth, what they believed that the kingdom of heaven would be like. But it's also very different than I think our tendency, like what we and what the world now would say that the kingdom is like. Because even the Beatitudes that you were you know, alluding to earlier, as I was reading them this time, I was making a list of if I didn't know the Beatitudes and didn't know Jesus, who would I think that the kingdom of heaven belonged to? Hmm. You know, and it would be words like the powerful, the successful, the educated, mm-hmm. the wealthy. Absolutely. Like, it would not be this list. <laughs> yeah, and the reason that is is because that is how the world actually functions. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. The meek don't inherit the earth yeah. right now. The prideful and boastful that are self-promoting, they're the ones that inherit the earth mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. But. What Jesus is laying out is this expectation of, hey, I know it looks this way now, but actually, if you will walk in meekness and humility, it doesn't look like it, but you will actually inherit the earth. Yeah. And the Beatitudes are even confronting some of the ideas that were swirling in the day and time that Jesus was in. So we talked about the zealots earlier and how they thought, well, maybe through violence or maybe through you know, creating some kind of movement, we can bring about the redemption that God had promised. Yeah. And what these Beatitudes are really doing are saying, actually, it's the opposite, guys. Yeah. It's the meek. It's the ones that don't kill their enemies, but actually love their enemies. Yeah. That are going to be the ones to inherit this thing. So you're very much right. He's creating a new ethic. Yeah. A new set of morals for the people of God. Yeah. The Beatitudes, gosh, I wish we had time to go through all of them. We don't because that would be <laughs> But they're connected to so many things from the Hebrew Bible, the Old yeah. Testament. And yeah, anyway. We need to just do like a whole Beatitudes study, a Sermon on the Mount study. Done that. Long, we have done that. Many moons ago, we did that. We need to do it again. And likewise, like how in the Sermon of the Mount, we see Jesus say, hey, faith also doesn't mean what you think it means. Like, it isn't about performance. It's mm-hmm. not performative. It's actually about your heart and the outflow of the heart. So there are just so many times when 
just I was trying to read the Sermon on the Mount specifically through the lens of a first century Christian <laughs> and thought, whoa, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? This is all very unexpected, you yeah. know? And yet true to the character of the God of the Old Testament and the God of the Bible. Yeah, that's right. You know, Cameron, in the context of our conversation and what you shared about healing and like mm-hmm. praying for that and learning what it might actually look like to walk in faith and in hope, it's interesting that our last day of reading this week, day five, the title is Jesus Extends Healing to All. Mm-hmm. And then we read from Matthew chapter eight, you know, a mm-hmm. man cleansed. We get to read about the centurion's faith, the healings at Capernaum, and onward, even to the, you know, like the wind and the waves obey Jesus, like that Jesus controls controls nature. And so I think it's just interesting to come into this with, you know, now the context of what we've discussed here in this mm-hmm. episode. What does that mean, Cameron, that Jesus extends healing to all? Yeah. Wow. That's quite a question <laughs> to ask. You know, I do some disability advocacy and stuff. And so the topic of healing, it can be a tough yeah. topic for the disability community. And rightly so. I think for all of us who have a visible mm-hmm. disability, And for a lot of people who have invisible disabilities, we have experienced things from the body of Christ that are painful. You know, I have, I mean, I still have friends today that if we got on the phone, they would talk about how I need Mm. to be healed and how I've settled for a place of suffering in my wheelchair. And look, I was in that world, so I understand the mindset. So a lot of times when we come to passages like this, it can be difficult to know how to relate to them rightly as a person with a disability. Some people come at it as like, well, everybody was healed. So everybody's supposed to be healed now because that's what Mm -hmm. Jesus did in his ministry. Some could even question, well, God, why are they healed? But I'm not. So many questions could be asked. Another question. Yeah. Another wrestle that people with disabilities have is, you know, disability is kind of like an identity for some people. And I resonate with that. Like part of who I am as a person is, deeply shaped by my experience with disability. And so to remove it, would that change who I am as a person? So when you read stuff like this, again, there's so many things to wrestle through. I think it's appropriate to understand really the social context of what is happening in the first century when Jesus does a healing. So Mm -hmm. when Jesus heals someone, oftentimes we're thinking in terms of, oh, he's fixing a broken body. And that's what he is doing. But there's actually more going on. Yeah. The social setting in that day would have placed people with disabilities at the lowest of the lowest of the totem pole, so much so that they would have actually been separated from their community and separated from the social life of the temple, social life of their families, depending on the disability that they had. So what Mm -hmm. Jesus is actually doing in the healing isn't only focused on the broken body. He's actually restoring people back to their families and the social status that they had lost through being disabled or through the leprosy or whatever it is. There is so much more happening in the healing ministry of Jesus than just fixing the broken body. You know, we have like a medical model in the West. Yeah. And so we view the healing ministry of Jesus through the medical model, like what's the cure? But Jesus is actually asking more like, how do I restore these people back to social standing within the community, you know? Right, right. So that's just a couple answers. Gosh, we could talk about that. So I mean, longer, yeah. But. And it makes me think of, I'm going to get the reference wrong. I want to say like Mark 5, where the friends lowered the friend through the roof to mm-hmm. Jesus. And Jesus' first thing is like, your sins are forgiven. Like yeah. your greatest sickness is spiritual, not physical. And that's maybe mm-hmm. overly summative, but also I think very helpful. And Cameron, you said most of like what is to come in like the coming fullness of the kingdom hadn't come yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that as believers, like our response to that is like really mm-hmm. like this both of hope. The good is still coming. Yeah. And yes. ache of like, but it isn't here yet. And like that's where we sit today. Yeah. In like an ache and in a hope, but that hope gets to overcome the ache because it's promised. It is sure and it is not fleeting. Our lives, the whole span of our lives is fleeting. Yeah. But that hope is forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that Psalm 103, which we'll read on Friday together. 
verses one through five, I think that's a fitting place to kind of express that together. And maybe even as a benediction, as we get to the end of our hour, which is so sad because I could talk to you all day, Cameron. I oh, really could. And Please so come we'll, back. We'll have to do this again. Oh, this was so much fun. So Cameron, would you be willing to read that for us just as a benediction as we close our time together? Psalm 103 verses one through five. I would love to. Yeah, this is a significant psalm for me as well. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that we're closing out with this. Yeah. I actually use the Psalms as like a prayer book each morning. So maybe if I could do it, if I could invite us even into doing this as like a prayer to God together. Absolutely. I would, I would love to do that. So here we go. My soul bless the Lord and all that is within me bless his holy name. My soul bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. Amen. 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 Oh, that's beautiful. All right. Well, Cameron, I know we've said thank you a couple of times along the way, but just... (laughs) One more, (laughs) because we mean it. Thank you so much for being just an incredible guest. And I mean, we prayed before we hit record on this episode that we would first be students, that we would get to learn, and that the Spirit would teach us, encourage us, and change us. And that's been true for me. And I think that everything that you shared was just really encouraging to me. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I noticed right at the beginning, we had a very kindred spirit and just so enjoyed doing this. And so enjoyed the homework, prepping for this, and getting to talk about <laughs> God's Word. It's just, yeah, such a profound thing in my life, and so I love to share it, and I love you guys is how passionate you are about it, and I just say, keep it up. Yeah. Keep mm-hmm. helping people find the glory that is in the Word. So I just want to bless you guys and say thank you as well. Thank you. So. And friends listening, I mean, like, rub that encouragement in as well. Keep it up. Like, This is Monday. You have eight chapters of Matthew to get to read this week, which is incredible, along with the Psalms and other passages that are kind of stuck in there for just like that going deeper element. Y'all, you've got a good week ahead. Whatever the week holds, you're invited to read God's Word and to commune with, I mean, you have the Spirit. You have access to God the Father because of the story that you're reading here. And so our, the three of us, we unite in strongly encouraging mm-hmm. you to be Bible readers this week. Come back next week. We will start in on Matthew chapter 9 and go through another week of Matthew reading. But until next week, Cameron, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. 